Good morning, friends. <coughs> Welcome to our Sunday service, especially for our guests and also all of those who are watching online from around the world. I'll read from the Rays of the One Light, which is the weekly commentary showing this, the similarity between the Bhagavad Gita and the Bible. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness. The week's topic, by the way, is the best way to worship. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. In chapter 4 of the Gospel of St. John, the woman of Samaria asks Jesus, where is the best place to worship? This question might be expanded to include what is the best church? What is the best religion? Is it important to go on pilgrimage to holy shrines? What is the best ritual? What is the best mantra or prayer? Jesus cut across all such questioning with his reply. The hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. It is not that outer considerations of place, church, ritual, etc. are irrelevant. Each person should find those practices and observances that are compatible with his own nature. One might say with his own happiness, his own vibrations. Not, everyone naturally, not everyone's natural path is the same. God sent different religions into the world to satisfy different human needs. The overarching concern, however, considering that the goal is to find God, is to include in one's worship daily inner communion with the Lord. God is silence. He must be sought, therefore, in inner silence. God is absolute love. He must be sought, therefore, in the silence of love. God is spirit and thus immaterial. He must be sought above all in the expanding peace of deep meditation. Thus the Bhagavad Gita states in the sixth chapter, sequestered should he sit, steadfastly meditating, solitary, his thoughts controlled, his passions laid away, from every craving for possessions freed. Wherever you are, whatever your outer beliefs and observances, seek God in the silence of your own soul. Thus through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. welcome you to our Sunday service and especially 
uh, congratulate those who had their Korea initiation last night and uh, taking this very important step. It's actually nice to be able to be together for this Sunday service after the big weekend we had last weekend. We'll talk about it more. Some of you were here, some of you weren't. But it really was, I think, a, a energy shift for Ananda Worldwide. And we need to kind of put it in perspective, I think. So let me start by reading from our master's book of prayer poems, Whispers from Eternity. Tune us that we may hear thy voice. Volumes of thy savior, savior voice resound through the loudspeaker of every loving heart. The voice of thy wisdom roams through the ether of space, seeking everywhere hearts that are tuned to ecstasy. Sadly, thy warning sermons pass unheard by souls deafened with the static of sense pleasures. O divine broadcaster, tune our souls, long distracted by the static of our indifference. Fine-tune us with the delicate touch of soul perception. Grant us the privilege of hearing thy magic melodies in the ecstasy of divine awakening. You, you know, he, English was a language that Master didn't know when he came to America in 1920, and he became such a poet. So his mastery of the English language was really, one might say, remarkable. But then one has to remember he was self-realized, so he could master whatever he chose. Well, this passage is such a beautiful one, both from the Bible and how Swamiji interprets it. How do we worship? What is the best way to worship? And Swami interprets the passage from the Bible saying, God is silence. And if we want to worship him, we must worship him in inner silence. And of course, that means the stillness of meditation. And really, the practice of meditation is certainly a lifelong learning experience. And more properly, one should say, many lifetime learning experience. Because one always learns. The door is always open to the next vista. You think, oh, OK, I have my practice of meditation. I've been doing it for some years and so forth. But then, through the grace of just as it said, fine-tune us. The master is always tuning our perception so that the, our ability to go deeper in meditation, to experience that inner stillness, just increases and increases. And for those of you who are new on the path, you have so much to look forward to. And for those of you who have been practicing for a while, don't ever be satisfied with where you are, but always be seeking the next step of how to go experience that inner stillness and live in it and carry it. I, someone sent me a video yesterday, a good friend of ours who lives in the Assisi community, Ruby. And it was just a little film clip of Master when he met Ananda Moima, the great woman saint mentioned in autobiography of a yogi. 
and the joy and the naturalness. You know, you think saints are very pious, but she was, they were both just laughing and laughing and relaxed. And she just looked like a little girl until you looked at her more deeply. <clears throat> and then you saw she was just Ananda Moima, the joy permeated mother. And that joy was just spilling over from a space of deep inner stillness. And Master was a little more reserved, but still you could feel the joy just bubbling over. And that comes, that joy comes from finding that place of stillness within yourself, where all joy resides, where we enter the stream of joy from that, the, one might say, the, the point of entry into the stream of divine joy is stillness. And it's not laughing and joking all the time, but it's going so, being so still within yourself that you realize that that's, that joy is who you are on the most profound level. And then Swami goes on to say, God is absolute love. And to worship him, to find that love, we must go into the silence of love. Again, that quietness. Because, you know, on, for me, I need to understand things on a human level before I can understand them on a divine level. And so you know when you have a very dear friend or relative member of your family that you're so close with, you don't need to talk. It just may be a little looking at each other and sharing that moment that you both understand what it is you're saying. And so it is when we worship God, we need to do it with that same sense of stillness. But familiarity, that's the important thing. God is not far away. That's why I referred to that video of Ananda Moima and Master, because they were so, it's like, so filled with joy, so natural, so present in the moment. And that's when we, when we begin to worship God in this way, to think you have to come to him unbended knee, and oh, I'm a sinner, and I've done these terrible things, and will you forgive me? Forget all that. That just separates us from God. Some people I notice over, over the years always look like, oh, please accept me, God, please accept me. That's just creating a barrier between you and God. God accepts you already. It's you who don't accept yourself. And so just say, whatever I am. I've made lots of mistakes, but that doesn't define me. What defines me is I love God. And all the rest is just frosting on the cake. It's just really not that important. So find that stillness within yourself and love God as a dearest, the dearest of the dear, as Master said, the nearest of the near, the most intimate, that you don't need to explain yourself to. I know I shouldn't have done that, but gosh, you know what they did to me and then I did to them. You don't need to explain yourself. God knows it all. He knows it all. All you have to do is love him. And then Swami goes on to say in that interpretation, and God is, we need to feel in the deep, in the deep peace, the, I'm sorry, the expanded peace of deep meditation. And so we become still, we offer our love to God, but then expand it. 
in that feel within yourself, you are a part, that love you feel, that silence you feel, expand it outward. And the more we do that in meditation, the more we break through our limitations of our personality and our shortcomings, and we just feel, I am everything. I am, you know, in Master's beautiful poem, Samadhi, he says, there's one line where he says, anger, greed, good, bad, salvation, lust. I swallowed, transmuted it all into a vast ocean of my own one being. And so everything that we've ever seen or known or thought, that's, it's a part of God. And expand it, and don't just say, this is me, but it all is you. And the Master says in that samadhi, thou art I, I am thou, knowing, knower, known as one. So the more we can go deep in that silence of meditation, the more we can allow ourselves to be on intimate terms with God and not think we're not worthy of that. Because Master would say, one time one of his disciples was looking at him with great reverence and devotion, and Master said, remember, God loves you just as much as he loves me. But why don't we allow ourselves to feel that love? That's the great question. That really, it's the question of our existence. And when we solve that, answer that question, we're free. It's as simple as that. And so these are the steps that Swami shows about the best way to worship. But then I want to talk a little bit about what many of us experienced last weekend when we dedicated Swami Kriyananda's Moksha Mandir. Because it wasn't just an event. It wasn't just all the details. It was, for the whole community, an act of worship. It was the best way to worship. And it was as though a column of grace and blessings just came down. And it wasn't just that weekend. You know, we had been planning Swami Kriyananda, our founder, passed away in April 2013. But we had been starting to think a couple of years before that. He was 86 years old, and we knew he, he was in poor health. We knew he wouldn't be around forever, and certainly not even very much longer. So we began thinking and asking him, Swami, what, do you have any particular wishes for what you'd like done with your body after you pass? And first he just brushed it off. You all decide. I don't care. I don't care what you do with this body when I go. But we had to have some plan. So we kept asking him. We said, well, Swami, do you want your body cremated or do you want it entombed? And he just wouldn't give us a direct answer. And then finally, he, said, <laughs> he was always so subtle. Finally, he said, well, you know, in India, they don't cremate saints. Like, okay. <laughs> well, he didn't want to say it directly, but we got it. Finally, it took us a long time. But so then we began planning. So this is like two years in the planning and going around and talking to our Ananda family all over the world and raising the funds to do it. And our wonderful team here of Nakula, the head of project manager, 
uh, Pandaranga, the architect, Willow, the aesthetic consultant, and then all the wonderful souls who actually put hammer to nail and so forth. This, so this has been going on for a long time. But then it heightened in the last, oh, I would say nine months, where we knew we had to, we were expecting, and we were expecting 600 people. We thought that was a lot. It actually turned out to be more like 650 people who came from all over the world. And we knew we had to plan for those people. We knew it was not going to just be, oh, hi, you're here. Well, I think there's a place for you to stay. You know, we knew it would have to be thought through. And so it started off with the same stages of worship, that innerness where we really put thought and concentration and clarity in every aspect of the mandir. It was done with inner perception. What is the right shape? What is the right color? What is the right lighting? What is the right slope of the land? And it was all done with inner perception and silence. And then as it evolved and was, it got closer to completion, the thing that I thought was the most beautiful was that the people who were the most involved totally disappeared in the sense that they had no personal recognition. That silence of humility, I'm not important. It doesn't matter if I get the big medal. It doesn't matter if my picture is on Facebook. It doesn't, none of that matters. I'm doing this as an act of devotion, a way of worshiping. And I saw that. I'd go in, and there would be um, Ram Prashad putting the rocks on the stone wall and just with such humility, and every one, Mary Wen's painting, and on and on, just with that disappearing, that silence of not wanting any recognition at all personally. And then we take this to meditation, because the only way we can really have a deep meditation is not to come and say, ta-da! Here I am, God, you know, in all my glory. But, but quite the opposite, just to say, Lord, I disappear. I'm nothing. Nothing I've done has any value, has any meaning. Doesn't care what people think of me if I'm at the head of the line. What difference does it make? I disappear, and it's only you. And that's how we have to take what we experienced in the weekend and take it the next step into meditation, then absolute love. I am so, I, I know Swamiji is so pleased and master by what this community did last weekend in serving our guests, hosting them, feeding them, housing them, cleaning the rooms, driving them. 650 people, and everyone felt cared for. No one felt between the cracks. And we were blessed to have many wonderful visitors. And I don't mean to embarrass you, but we are so honored to have two of Master's family. If you would stand up, uh, Somnath Ghosh and Sarija Ghosh, just stand and greet everyone. This is Master's grandnephew and his wife. And they care for his boyhood home, thank you, at, in Calcutta at Four Garpur Road. If you ever go to visit, they will greet you. 
And so we had many guests, many dignitaries, but the love that flowed out, and it made it flawless, it made it seamless. Many people who were intricate and are very involved with the logistics said, there were 650 people here, but where were they all? Because it just didn't feel crowded, it didn't feel cluttered, it didn't feel chaotic. It just felt like a beautiful family of love. And you know, when you're with your people you feel close to, it doesn't matter how many there are, it's a joy to be with them. And that's what it felt like, this incredible outflowing of love. And then we take that into meditation, that, that same energy that you put into everything you did, all of you, hosting, serving, caring for people, bring that to meditation and give it to God, that same energy. You know, there's that wonderful story about a young boy who comes to a guru and he said, will you show me God? And the guru looks at him, has his own thoughts, and he says, come with me. And they go down to the river. And the guru says, let's go into the river. So they walk out down the steps into the river. And then the guru takes the young boy's head and holds it underwater. And the little boy starts getting, what's going on here? Is this guy crazy? And he's struggling and struggling, but he won't let his head up. He keeps it underwater. And the boy's just about to, his lungs are about to burst. And then the guru pulls him up and asks him, what did you want the most of anything when I was holding your head underwater? And the little boy said, I wanted to breathe. I wanted air. And the guru said, when you want God, as much as you want air, then come back to me and I will show you the way. And so the love that we poured out, give that to God now. It awakened an expanded sense of presence within us. And don't just say that was a nice weekend. Remember what it felt like to be giving unhesitatingly, joyfully, completely, and then give that to God. I remember many years ago, <clears throat> I was living up at the meditation retreat, and um, this was before the expanding light existed. That was our only guest facility. And it was rustic. I mean, there were no phones, there was no electricity. I don't know how we ran it, of course, before internet and computers, but somehow people got in touch with us and came. Well, we were having a big event at the end of the summer spiritual renewal week, and um, we were all day, we were, uh, it was the Sunday night, we were checking people in and giving them places to stay. And we really never knew who was going to show up, so we didn't know how to plan. But finally, it was, you know, like 8 o'clock at night, I was at the desk, and I thought, okay, I'm going to wind down now. But then one last fellow came. Well, we had no more tent sites. We had no more sleeping bags. We had no more blankets. We had nothing to give this guy. And there he was. And so I said, uh, wait a minute, I'll go and get something. And I went and got my sleeping bag and, and my mattress. And I brought it over. And I said, here, you can, I didn't tell him that. But I said, here, you can put it under the tree. And the next morning, I saw Swami, Swamiji. And he looked at me and he said, now you're getting the picture. <laughs> and I thought, OK. <laughs> everything, everything. And so. Give that same kind of love. It's, it's wonderful what we did last weekend to give it so wholeheartedly, but then take it within. 
and feel what that means on an inner level. And then finally, the expanded peace of deep meditation. I think we all felt as we went into the Moksha Mandir, and for those of you who weren't here last weekend, go meditate at the Moksha Mandir where Swami Kriyananda's body was entombed. It feels like you're just, there's no limit to who you are. You're just expanding out into space. And you're, that love and that blessing that we felt when we dedicated, don't forget it. Bring it into your meditation. Let it flow out so that there's no limit to the whole world, beyond the world, to every atom of creation because that's where God resides. If we want to worship him, we have to be bigger than we are because he's everything. And we're a little spark of that everything. But we have to, at the same time, balance our own limited awareness with his infinite awareness and say, in kind, there's no difference. It's just a degree of awareness. And then, finally, it said we must worship God <clears throat> in spirit and in truth. Well, what does that mean, to worship God in truth? It means with the complete sincerity of who you are. That's the beauty of it. We don't have to be anybody else. We don't have to pretend we're somebody different, more spiritual, whatever. Just total sincerity. I come to you as I am, Lord. And you know that I am calling you with the deepest sincerity of my heart. And it says in that passage in the Bible, God seeks those to worship him in that way. God wants us to come to him in silence, with love, with expanded awareness and with sincerity. He wants that. Why? Because we are his children. He created us, but not forever to wander in delusion and suffering. He created us so that we would know the joy of reunion, of coming home. And so he seeks those who worship him in that way. And we can all use what we have given seemingly to build a building, to host guests, all that. But remember, all of it ultimately was an act of worship and it was an offering to God. And when we do that, it not only brings great blessings into our life, but we become a channel of blessings for everyone whom we meet.